This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Ballover Podcast. The only rugby podcast that gives you all the news, views and opinions on the weekend's rugby action, or with a West Country accent. You can find us on Facebook, we are Ballover Rugby Podcast. We are at Ballover Podcast on Twitter. Um, all of our content is available on Anchor as well as Apple Pods and all the other usual podcatchers, but you'll know that if you're listening to us by now. Um, I'm joined this evening by Ben, our resident... Uh, Speaker of light, our stats man, our man who likes to remain entirely reasonable at all times. Good evening, Ben. Good evening, Russ. He said Uh, neutrally. He said neutrally. Um, I'm also joined by uh, the eye candy, officially, housewife's favourite, Phil Elkins, at Phil Farm Vet, who's no longer a farm vet. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm glad that it's now been made official. I thought it was all unofficial and hearsay before what's that that i'm the eye candy of the pod i, I think i think it was it's relatively official um i'm russ Milson. i try to steer this ship in a fairly uh competent direction and i constantly fail to achieve that so uh good luck listening to this um we are some west country rugby fans who like chatting about the game and all things uh that are connected with it we are missing one guy the lensman the uh what what could we describe Doug as? What does what does Doug offer? He's an angry uh, little man. Resident curmudgeon. <laughs> the res yes, resident curmudgeon, Doug, who is currently in Japan. For those who haven't listened, uh, he is a, uh, a sports videographer, and he will. Um, he's been provided updates from Japan and uh, all that goes along with it. Any any truth in the rumor that he's um, paid to go out on a whaling trip? <laughs> I think that's I think that's just one of the stag dudes he's been on. <laughs> but he survived um he survived uh Typhoon Hagibis or whatever it was called. Um he just stood under somebody else's umbrella, I think. Just hid under a leaf somewhere. 
used a small child as an umbrella. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, so um, first proper podcast, I guess, back for the new season. Now the Premiership started as well. We're going to start being a little bit more regular, which uh, you'll be pleased to know, those of you that actually listen to us. Um, this week, obviously, saw the start of the Premiership season and some amazing games uh, occurred. But we'll start this week by kicking off with the World Cup. Um, and no better place to start than England destroying the Australians yet again, Ben. Yeah, what's that? Six or seven times in a row now, isn't it? S- seven now, because yeah. it, uh, it was six pre this one with the last time they beat us being World Cup in 2015. Which was a great day, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I I must admit, I, I, I was pretty confident going into that match, the 2019 one, not the 2015 one. Um, but I didn't think we'd, um, we'd win by that much. I thought that was a great result, really, um, and, and a really good performance. Uh, you just got to say England got it right and Australia got it really wrong. They did. Um, I mean, England. England's performance was... It was almost the epitome of professional, wasn't it? They soaked up pressure. They defended well. Yes, they conceded um, some points, which is always going to happen against good sides in international rugby. Um, and it was it was close for a while. But there were a couple of sort of pivotal moments of the game that that really sort of swung in England's favour. And I thought that those those important moments, the best sides obviously deal with them in the best way. I mean, if you think towards the end of the first half, we'll talk about the England in the England tries in a second, but that period of play for the last five minutes of the half where Australia were literally banging down the door. And I think I tweeted at one point that England it would be really good for England to get away with only conceding a penalty here. And going in with three points. And that's exactly what happened. And their defence, I thought their defence all the way through was was really good. Yeah, there was a few line breaks, I think. But that's always going to happen against Australia. I think the other key moment... Because they was, refused to kick the ball. Yeah. I think the other key moment was after that Australian try, which was brilliant. Um, we'll probably talk about that a bit later on because it was one of the few concerns of the game sort of came from that. But um, England kind of, it, I thought it was quite Saracens-like. They just hit straight back. They didn't panic and they hit straight back with a try. Um, you know, it was, it was a, and it was a really good try as well. But it was very calmly done. There was no yeah. panic. And then from there, the, the, the result really wasn't in question. And, and Australia seemed to get more and more desperate. Um, but I, I, think, I think it comes from a bit of a misreading of England. I think the Australians like to think that they... You know, they're the guys that do the, um, you know, the the real attacking rugby, the 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 fun rugby, and 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 England are sort of one dimensional, very and very boring. But I think they they almost took that to heart and decided, you know, like you would with under twelves. If your under twelves are a lot quicker than the opposition, you just oh, we'll just chuck it about everywhere and run them off the park. But that isn't ever going to happen in an international game. And um, they they just were asking for trouble, sort of running from their own twenty-two, and and England just pinned them back and waited for mistakes. In Gornfield, I was going to say, but it was very much a case of just chuck it about. There was no there was no finesse about it. Um, they seemed to like using Karevi and Corabetti as as hard runners, and everything else was just let's chuck the ball wide as quick as we can. There was no 
There was no interplay. There was no committing people. And it became pretty easy to defend against. Yeah. That having I mean, been said, they did defend, like, defend excellently on the whole England did. If, if you look at the bulk metres made in the first half, when Australia actually did make those line breaks, invariably they came from pretty broken field when England made mistakes. I mean, Henry Slade had a couple of sort of handling errors where he was trying to ship the ball on before he'd had any control of it, like the little tap tap on. And, you know, I think it was twice that, that they managed to recover the ball and then Beale stepped through and um, and ran through. And I think Corabetti did it as well in the first half. And, you know, uh, their, their game plan, like you say, fell off throwing it around really really lack structure yeah and Henry Slade looked short in match time that's he, he didn't have his anywhere near his best game in an England shirt um, I think he got better as the game went on but that's easy to do when you're in a side that's scoring more points as the game goes on um, but his he, he didn't look sharp um, and was responsible for a couple of those those occasions but um, we we called it probably two years ago, um, and if we didn't, I'm going to claim we did anyway, about having a back row of Underhill and Curry, and ha- and how good they would look, and they were immense. Well, the the battle was billed as is Pooper against um, Cunderhill, <laughs> which I quite, I quite like Cunderhill, um, but uh, Curry and Underhill wiped the floor of them as far as I'm concerned. Did Did you see that photo they had taken with? Pocock in the um, changing rooms afterwards. No, it, I think Pocock has lost a little bit of bulk looking at him, but they both dwarfed him. Mm, and, really? and yeah, but, and, and you you kind of look at them as some you know smaller back row players, but there's the size to even those two, and and they they were both brilliant on the day. I thought. Yeah, and I think. Um... You, you can bill it as a battle between two players, but ultimately it is a 15-man game. And what made um, what made Pooper look not as good as we know they can be was the fact that that entire England pack, in fact, probably out kind of 12 out of the 15 players for England, as soon as there was a breakdown, they were committing themselves and committing themselves hard. In fact, 13, because Johnny May did it a couple of times. As yeah. well. Didn't matter where it was. You saw Manu Tuolangi going and being the first man over and smashing Hooper off the ball. And I don't think you quite saw that level of commitment from the Australian, the entire Australian team. Yeah, I, th- I think the the two flankers and the two props got a lot of the sort of credit after the game, and rightly so, because, you know, Mako put in an incredible shift for a, for a guy that's hardly played, and, and he looked it at the end. Um but Atoje was brilliant. I thought he he basically sort of ruled the breakdown. It's interesting you say that because all of the, you know, you look at, say, experts in the commas and people that have um, that do the player ratings and all that sort of stuff. And they didn't, um, they didn't rate Atoje's performance. A lot of them have given him like a 6.5. And I'm like, really the is. fact, the fact that he was anonymous like maybe in a carrying perspective and in a flashy perspective, but it's because of, for me, all of the hard work and graft yeah, he was I mean, doing at that breakdown. And I mean, it was, there was... And it was tactics. Yeah. But that's, that's the game they set out. You play, I know we've had multiple chats about Ford versus Farrell versus Farrell and Ford. If you play Farrell at 10, 
if you played the kind of lineup that they were playing, it was it was about playing a tight, hard game. Yeah. And as a result, Otoje's doing donkey work rather than glory work. And and the second try was, was directly off him nosing at the nine. And he he slowed their ball down to the point where the, the England line speed put too much pressure on the Australians and the ball went loose. And yeah, to be fair, Slade and May still had a lot to do, but that, that's why they had that, the ball. That was class from Slade. Absolutely yeah. class. And yeah. For for all of the you know for the the couple of mistakes that he made and Phil you're right he did look short of match fitness. Had England have been playing Ford Farrell Tuilagi, Tuilagi would not at thirteen may have made the interception, but would not have done what Henry Slade did did in that in that situation, which was knocking a nigh on perfect grubber for Johnny May to to run straight onto. Yeah, um, look- yeah, well, I, I think Phil's exactly right. He got better as he went along. The first probably 15 minutes, he did look a bit rusty. But, you know, after that... But he, know, does, he does anything other than good. kick that ball. It's not a try. No, uh, absolutely. If he, if he passes that, May gets tackled. It, it's, it was his only option, but most players wouldn't spot that option as being an option. Or execute it in a way that he executed it. Because it yeah. was nigh on yeah. perfect. It was... It was it was the execution, wasn't it? And and you know, May gave him a real big shout as well, which which obviously helped. But yeah, brilliant play, piece of play. Um, yeah, I mean, the first try was was a real good try as well, wasn't it? You know, a couple of carries from Tuilani, a couple from Billy um, Watson made a bit of ground, and then right over in the corner. So two good tries. We're off to a great start. And and it was from... patient. It was patient, wasn't it? it yeah. And Eng- England sides of the past have. I've often messed up those sorts of opportunities by being over eager, and they worked that that line really well. And again, it was Slade who had a he got chopped down by was it the hooker, and they went through a couple of phases, went back the other way, and then got themselves in. I said somebody who I thought had a great game, um, and he gave I thought he gave um, Corabetti a real tough time in defence was Anthony Watson. Yeah, yeah. He was superb. He just glides over ground, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he's not as fast as May, I don't think, but he's think more he... elusive. Yeah, slippery, slippery. I think he also. I think he's probably got a quicker and longer first couple of strides. Yeah, like May's May's a total flyer, but May kind of he he runs on. He's best when he's running onto the ball at speed. Watson quite often gets the ball static. And then and goes, within two yeah. strides, he's gone five meters. Yeah, yeah, it's that quick feet, isn't it? It's the off the mark burst of speed. Whereas Johnny May is like a, a thoroughbred, and he? he just happens and he just goes. Yeah. Um, so England went in uh, up. I think it was seventeen nine half time. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Corabetti comes out. Scores what actually you got a hats off. It was a it was a wonderful try by Australia that, mm-hmm. that Corabetti scored. Um question marks over Elliot Daly, Ben, as a fullback. Are you yeah. uh are you you're you're not particularly having Elliot Daly anyway, are you? Well well I think he's played really well in this tournament. Um and he certainly adds something. Now if anyone's gonna pick him off, it's New Zealand for for a fact. Um, I thought in in this game he he 
certainly le- looked less secure than he had done. And, and to be fair, it's the first time we've played a real decent side. Um, I think the Aussies got the ball from a, a mistake that he made where, um, where he lost the ball. Um, and then I thought he probably should have shown, shown the winger back inside rather than letting him take him on the outside. Um, maybe that was just Daly's fairly, fairly quick. So perhaps he thought he had the pace on him and, and it turned out he didn't. Whereas a sort of tortoise like me would definitely have put him, pointed him back inside. Get, get in front of him support. and try and get him to trip over you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, you know, there were players coming across. So if, if you'd have forced him back inside, whether that's a lack of experience or just the fact that he's slightly quick, you know, quicker type of player, slightly quicker. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I did um, think there was a, it was a couple of occasions with Daly where he made his life more difficult than it should have been with positioning in the yeah. backfield. So yeah, a kick he, came he, through and you're thinking fullback should be either there to take it on the full or definitely covering that kind of zone. And he's kind of 10 yards away from where he should be and either letting it bounce or struggling to get there. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I don't think they'll make any kind of change now. I think, you know, it, it, it'd be crazy to do so unless they possibly brought in a kind of more of a sharing kind of role with Watson. Um but, you know, I've seen online people sort of saying about bringing Noel in. Well, great as Noel looked in the 20 minutes he's had, you know, he hasn't played since uh, the, the, the final, you know, the, the premiership final. Um, and I, I think you just got to really say with Daly now, you know, let's go with it. He's looked good in the tournament. We've got the long kicking option and, and he does make, you know, he does make make scores for people. So, um that's our bed now. Let's lie in it, and and you know if it doesn't work, when we'll look at it again after the after the tournament finishes. Yeah, totally agree. I think um, we'll, we'll obviously get onto it at some point, but it's probably an appropriate time. If you're looking at a team for next week, you certainly don't change the back three. You don't change the the back three of the scrum if they're all fit. Those those players are pretty much nailed on. Um, you can have question marks over who plays with. Itoji, but I'd be quite happy with either Laws or Cruz. I don't think it makes much of a difference. Front row, I think Mako definitely has to start. I think rightly or wrongly, Jamie George is going to start. Personally, I prefer seeing Sinclair there than Dan Cole. Um, and then so, it comes back to the perpetual question of what do you do in the midfield? What do you do with Ford and Farrell? So here we go. I, I mean, I was going to come on to this after afterwards, but seeing as you've taken us there, let's let's go there now. Um, it's horses for courses, isn't it? In yeah. in my opinion, I don't care. And Eddie Jones hit the nail on the head in um, in the press conference where they were saying, you know, they said, "Oh, you you dropped George Ford," and he was like, "Now, nah, mate, now, nah, mate." Uh, now, nah, mate, uh, we just changed his role. And that's what he's done. He's just changed him to coming off the bench. Rugby's a squad game. It's a 23-man game. And the people that are on the bench, uh, as Marla and Dan Cole did on Saturday, and the shift that, that Vunapola and Sinclair put in was great, right? And they both played really well. What was arguably as important was the impact that Cole and Marla had when they come on. And that makes me feel a little bit sick about both of those guys because I felt because I felt <laughs> yeah. like they had they've had their chances, but you cannot argue 
that the the replacement Australians and and that little back and forth between Scott Seo and, and Kyle Sinclair with the tap on the head and all that sort of stuff, you know, they bought that penalty in the first half from Sinclair because he was dropping his bind, he was he was letting go, and then all of a sudden Sinclair does something, it's in the referee's head, and he was holding to watch him. Call. Yeah, but he was hold, he was Seo was put, he was going in quick, and then he was holding back. So it looked like Sinclair was was boring in. And I'm not was, a front row expert, but and he was hinging as well. Yeah, um, as soon as the hit was coming, he was hinging at his waist. Didn't did it? It did you see it? Did you see a toe Jay just just split them up as well? Yeah. <laughs> straight away, like no, Kyle, move away. Um, yeah, I thought Ford played really well when he came on as well. Um, I think what by the time he came on they started to get use the mall very well to gain points i think we got three, two or three penalties from malls and and they would they just started to kick to turn beal a little bit more um they gave beal a little bit of room to run in the first hour or so but for the last section of the game they they got the ball behind him into the corners and gave him nowhere to go and i think the frustration probably led to watson's try from the intercept um, so when when after about 10 minutes of Ford being on, I thought I was going to come on today and say, as much as England won it, I think Ford's probably a better fly half than, than Farrell. But then having had 48 hours to look back on it, you come back to the same old thing that he's playing against tired players. He's he's running the game. And oh, you know what? Eddie can make those calls and I'm not going to argue with him either way. You could see how, because Ford, ran that game superbly, saw it out superbly for the last, what was it, 25 minutes. Um, he was he was excellent. I'd say that's the best I've seen him play in an England shirt, probably. Yeah. This but is a... He's this come is... off the bench against tired players. and you, Yeah. Well, Danny, Danny Kerr almost made an England career out of that, didn't he? But this is, and, this and, is... and that's entirely unfair on Danny Kerr. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that, but... It's a it's a specific role, a, a, a player of that nature coming on against a tired, bigger defense is always going to have a big impact. Well, it's it's quite like the um, the situation. What was it, sixteen years ago with um, Cat and Tyndall? You know, yeah. you, you they were always going to play Greenwood, um, but depending on the opposition, they they did start chopping and changing in the in the last three games. You know, if if they needed a bit more control, Cat came in. But if they wanted to run down people's throats, then it was it was Tyndall, and um, you know he's now got that option. I I agree with Phil. I I'd, I'd be happy with either right now. So yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. And so and so with that in mind, then I don't think it matters if we were going to predict what Eddie's going to do this weekend. And looking at that All Black midfield, I would suggest that he is going to go Ford Farrell to a laggy. That's what I think he'll do. I think that's my gut feeling as well. Because they haven't got all. They, ha- they have, obviously, with, with Sonny Bill. But you look at Crotty, Lynette Brown, you know, whoever they decide to play in that in, in that midfield, Ford Farrell to Alagi, defensively. They're not Samu Karevi. Right? And, you know, they don't play the game like Samu Karevi. So that would make me think... Eddie, Eddie thinks his strongest sort of pairing is Ford Farrell with probably Tuolagi, maybe Joseph on the bench to cover wing um, in the 23 shirt, or maybe Noel, who knows. But 
I think he might go 5-3 split. You reckon? I think it'll be a 6-2. I think but... he might play 5-3 and have Jack Noel on as that extra player. It's, it's, and then um... Joseph or Slade to cover inside. I, th- I think with... Um... We might talk about this in a minute, but there's no doubt whatsoever you've got to beat New Zealand up front. Um, so I think he might go 6-2, 5 yeah. So six two, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, it's a, it's it's a one off game, and to be honest, we can sit here and and make a lot of sort of judgments, but it's going to be down to putting in a an absolute performance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and you know, if you're going to win the World Cup, you've got to beat the best team, and if that's in the semi final or the final, then so be it. Um, okay, so uh, any more for any more about the England performance at the weekend? Um, I don't, I don't think so really. I feel like there should be more, but I suppose all you can say is that they they played really well as a team and they kind of kind of got everything right. I suppose I would I'd rather see um, Genge on the bench than uh, than Marla. Yeah, um, but. Well, the thing only because right. I think Marla's only because I think Marla's kind of stained his copybook as far as I'm concerned with all the crap that went on earlier. Yeah, I, I get that, um, but I, I think in a World Cup semi final, do you want someone with the experience of Joe Marla coming off the bench, or do or you want rhino. or a baby or a baby rhino? And you know, I depends think... on the score. That's. That's exactly that's it. I, I, I get the feeling he was pretty convinced he was going to be ahead, and and just wanted some steady hands to to for the you know to keep the ships, uh, you know, on an even keel. Um, whether against New Zealand, he might gamble a little it's bit more. Yeah. You know, Cole's going to be the 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 tight head because he's the only spare. Um, so maybe yeah. you do just just go for it and put Genge on the bench, and and if. If it if you do need to keep it steady, you might just have to stick with Mac, Mako. You know, I mean, the guy looked like he'd been through a tumble dryer by the time he came off. But you know, he would he would do an eighty. I'm sure he would. But yeah. um, you know, that that's one place they could gamble. Um, you know, they like you say, maybe go with an extra back just in case that they need to chase the game. Someone like Noel or um, you know, I don't think McConaughey's going to get in there now, but you know, no. just to just to mix it up a little bit. Um, but it's minor tinkering, isn't it? He's got to the point now where he's got a good team. I think the All Blacks will. They when they play a good England side, it's always a tight game. You know, there's there's been some assings from the All Blacks in the past, but that's been England have been at a low ebb, and I think they're on a a fairly you know high point at the moment so i think new zealand will know it's going to be a a tough game probably you know two scores or less i would say whichever way it goes and and i think england have got a chance of winning i i don't think it's a 50 50 i'd make new zealand favorites but you know it's all to play for 60 40 I I think if New Z- if England played New Zealand ten times, they'd win three. Seventy thirty then. Mm. <laughs> um, 
you say 70 30 i say seven out of ten, 10 to three yeah 30, 30, 30, 30, out of ten. <laughs> but uh, I d- what are you picking on between the sides because ultimately this england team hasn't played that new zealand team uh, where where are New Zealand better than what England are giving them at the moment? I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying that having watched the games, I'm struggling to go, that's loads better than what England can do. The offloading game, they're better. Um, I, st- I, I, I don't still... think they're any better at rucking. I don't think they're any better at attacking organisation. don't think they're any better at defensive organisation now that we've actually got some open side flankers playing rugby. I still think they're better at thinking on their feet. I I, I think that. But Australia, if you go Australia, Australia just did. They just kept pl- they kept plugging away yeah. with the set. If you can call it a game plan, they went with a game plan. Whereas, but if you I, look at the games that New Zealand have lost this year, and I did watch them, unlike some of the games that they've won, <laughs> they didn't change their game plan. They were behind, and they they kept playing the same way. That, because they had faith in that way of playing. So I'm not sure they're they're that um, versatile. Don't get me wrong, I think they're bloody good. But equally, I think this England team's bloody good. And I think Eddie Jones is a clever man, and he'll know New Zealand score tries when you kick the ball and they return it. And they score tries when you let them get penalties so they can kick close to, to the line. And they score tries in the last 10 minutes of the first half. So you can guarantee his game plan will be we keep the ball from 30 to 40. If you're kicking from inside the 22, it goes dead. Yeah. Or it goes that's, that's properly to space, as in two, three bounces and give yourself time to to get there. And we don't give away penalties. Now, whether the players can deliver on that or not is a different matter. Yeah, true, true. Um, well, speaking of New Zealand then, obviously they... Uh put Ireland to the sword um, after the England game on on Saturday. Um, ben, in your opinion, were New Zealand that good or were Ireland that bad? Uh, both, I think. I mean, I think this, again, is another sort of slight misreading of the way teams play. I think there's still this sort of lazy sort of stereotype that New Zealand throw the ball around constantly, which, which they certainly don't. And they... They physically battered Ireland and then then they started scoring tries. You know, it was, they won, I'd say, nine out of ten collisions in that game. They were just knocking them backwards. You know, Ireland have got some big ball carriers and they just couldn't make any ground whatsoever. Um, and New Zealand, you know, they they played out of their skins. Kieran Reid, that's the best he's played in years, probably. Um, good Hughes, a really good player. Um, he's got he's got one of the worst lids though, and he in world he country. has yeah. Um, I mean, he, he makes the right decision every time, apart from when he steps through a barber's shop door. <laughs> Sounds like well, he should get to Exeter. Yeah, um, but you know, I mean, uh, he produced a little pass that ran into the second. You know, that in the run up to the second try, it was just you know perfect. Um, but you know, Ireland were just. I don't know if they got a bit shell-shocked, but, but I mean, you've got to remember that Japan are a great side, but they beat Ireland hollow. You know, they, they completely ran them off the park. And so it, perhaps this Ireland side isn't as good as, as, as 
it was a, a couple of years ago. Well, it definitely isn't. But, you know, it maybe the All Blacks performance needs to be put in a slight bit of perspective. But it's a physical island side and it's, a, it's got some really good players in it. And they battered them completely. By the end of it, you know, Ireland kicked badly, which they hardly ever do. There was dick fingers everywhere. They're just dropping the ball. And, and by the second half, even their line speed was slow. Um, so I, th- I just think they, they didn't turn up. And whether that was just because they just got absolutely panelled in the first 15 minutes. Aaron Smith was so quick, so good today. I mean, if, if we're still saying Faf's better than him, we shouldn't be. That's the um, third best from that South African squad. Uh, he, he, play, he played really well yesterday, to be fair to him. But, you know, Aaron, Aaron Smith's brilliant. Um, England need to find a way to slow down that ball, don't they? Yeah, they do. And, and, and New Zealand will be looking to do the same because England looks so much better with quick ball. Um, yeah, Reid Reed picked a real good line um, for Taylor, Cody Taylor's try. It was like a perfect line. He delayed it and then produced an offload as well and the hooker just went straight under the post it was you know classic read you know and he did three know, or four offloads in the yeah in the first half and i reckon somebody had gone up to him i do it with the uh with the under 11s before a game and pick their weaknesses and say i want you to do three tackles below the waist today <laughs> i reckon i reckon somebody's gone up to him gone you need to do five offloads today. And it's the first thing in his head is, how can I offload it? Um, can I very quickly jump back to the England game? Because yeah, go on. I just remembered something. We've been relatively critical of Ben Youngs at times. He had his best game in a long time. His kicking was good. He was sharp around the base and he was sharp looking for holes to run through as well, which I haven't seen since, well, probably 10 years. But um, yeah, I don't think this Ireland team has been right for probably six to eight months. And they've been able to paper over the cracks because Sexton's been playing really well. Um, and Murray is class. But I think what's happened is those two have kind of gone off the boil a bit as well. And, and everything's run off them. We've said it multiple times. It's one of Doug's favourite things to say is, what is their plan B for when Sexton isn't firing? And he hasn't looked right all World Cup. Um, I think there's something's got into his um, into his head a bit because he he's not managing the games the way that he was. I don't think he's been allowed to because uh, you you mentioned Sexton not being right. I think it goes deep. I think it's one one in from there. I think, I it's, think it's I think it's Murray. Yeah, but I suppose we've seen games when Murray's not been not been on it, and Sexton has been that good a player that he's been able to make real quality snap decisions. I don't I don't think either of them are where they were a year ago and that was worse than where they were two years ago. But yeah and and but it's it's also the pack isn't gaining the ground like it was and well, they're not clearing right. the ball out like they were. It's it's all it's and it's well, probably a circle. It's all feeding off what, each other. What happened in Chicago, you see Tug Furlong bouncing off three keys. Mm. What happened on Saturday, he got absolutely pulverized every time he got the ball. It's yeah. yeah, maybe it's something inherently deeper within that squad that that isn't quite right. Yeah, either interesting. Way, I mean, either way, what uh, is and, their record in knockout games? Yeah, um, it's interesting, isn't it? It's their um, equal best World Cup of all time, isn't it? 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, well, there, there's been a lot made of that on uh, on Twitter and the surrounding areas. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Well, they're going to be a really different side, though, aren't they? Because, you know, that was Best's last game. Um, you know, it, it's a sad way for a player like that to go out. But I think m- most sportsmen tend to go out on a bit of a low, don't they? There's very few that get to go out winning a World Cup. Um, and and it, it is a, you know, Murray and Sexton have been around a long time. Carney's been around even longer. So there are going to be a few changes coming through. And I heard today Conan's out for six weeks, uh, six months. Wow. Um, so they're going to have to shake up the back row. Um, well, it's going to be it's going to be interesting when Farrell comes in. In anyway, isn't it? I mean, he's there already, but when he's the one calling the shots. It's he's you'd think he's he's gonna try and put his own stamp on things. Well, funnily enough, the um talking of Farrell's Farrell the center, he looked good in the games that he played. So, you know, do you bring him in? Um will they have a, a change at ten? I, I I doubt it, but it depends how long Sexton wants to go on. It's it's an interesting one. Um it's, it was a shame as well because the pre-match was so good. You had the the hacker and the Irish crowd singing, and you know so, some of the Irish players really looked up for it, and they, it just never happened. And even when they got a bit of play together, they gave away penalties. So it's a shame. It's a real shame. I'm crying inside. <laughs> Um, it's a shame Doug isn't here because it might be that he's uh, he would be crowing a little bit. But uh, <laughs> you know, it was almost a perfect rugby weekend for Doug. But we'll come on to that. Um, we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, let's let's have a chat about Wales. Wales versus France. Um, for a long period of time in this game, I I genuinely thought that Wales were in trouble and they weren't going to do it, and it was going to be such a typically french thing to do to labor all the way through a world cup and then uh yeah reach a semi-final out of nowhere but they were in trouble scoreline says they're in trouble the way they were playing says they were in trouble yeah um but yeah was it the turning point the red card or had, had the tide already turned when they went in for half time I think, I mean, I don't think the tide had turned when when they went in for half time. Absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, the the Vakatawa try to to get France up to, um, excuse me, up to nineteen um, ten up at half time. I thought France looked, you know, I thought they looked comfortable almost. I mean, if you think that Wainwright try was a was a burst, wasn't it? It just sort of came from nowhere. Um, you know that penalty miss from Antamac just before half time as well, and then he went off at half time, um, injured. France, France, they weren't cruising. And if you remember, where was it? Was it at the? Oh, it would have been. It would have been at the Millennium Stadium, wasn't it? Earlier this season in the Six Nations, where France scored a couple of early tries and Wales sort of edged back at them and, and they th- literally threw it away with uh, Wales' sports personality of the year, Varmahina, um, who threw that interception in uh, in Cardiff in February and then got himself sent off for what is, you know, Ben, you nailed it earlier um, when you said probably one of the stupidest things I've seen on a rugby field for, for quite some time. 
yeah, it was crazy. I, I think France wouldn't have been uh, confident of winning, I don't think, just because they've been so bad for so long. But they were the better side at that point. Um, they just kicked to the corner um, and given away a penalty from an attacking mall. And, and as soon as you saw it, it was like, well, that was that was a red 25 years ago. It was a red 50 years ago. It was it was absolute madness. It, you know, if, it was if a red had, and getting pummeled 50 yeah, years ago. I mean, it was such a red. Have you seen the film Escape to Victory? <laughs> yeah. So if that with, had been a... Hold on, with Bobby Moore and Pelé and, and Ozzy Ardiles and Russell Osman. <laughs> I've always remembered that because when I was growing up, Russell Osman was the... Uh, he used to play for Bristol City. He was a Bristol City manager. And uh, yeah, he, it was just random how all these like absolute world greats of football were, were in this film and Russell Osman. Just... It was um, it was because they all played for Ipswich because John Walk. John Walk, well. yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, I'm not sure Pele. I'm not, I'm not sure Pele played for Ipswich. No, he did. Well, not that we know of. Anyway, we're a rugby podcast, but um, but yeah, you, you know the match at the end. Yeah. If that had been a rugby match and one of the Germans had done that in it, the SS guy refereeing the match would still have sent him off. <laughs> it was just madness, and. You know, he's he's let he's just let the whole team down. And was it, you know, Al, Al, Alfie Thomas said at the end of the game, like he's apologising as he goes off, and he he said, if it was me, I wouldn't want him to apologise. I just want him to walk off and get out of my sight. Just go away, mate. It it was it was, you know, it was pretty premeditated as well. He took a good look at him, then he made sure he wasn't looking at him, almost to get away with it. Yeah. Um, and went for it and you know he he was just gonna have to go whatever it was and he just let his team down and then of course they had an attacking uh scrum where they forgot to put a number eight in i mean how french is that and <laughs> and that was with pick pickamole was in the second row you think he'd have he'd have gone I said, do you know what lads just get one of the flankers in here and i'll go at eight um yeah. anybody wales's try came off a seven man scrum that got broken up so you know he, he he sort of indirectly and directly cost his team the game there, and he's retired, isn't he? Yeah, on his birthday, twenty eight yeah. and twenty eight and out. Um, you could argue he probably wouldn't have been picked again that's, um, by, um, by any French manager. That's his score in Scrabble as well, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. I don't, you, especially on a if you got it on a double word score. I'm sure yeah. you'd. Uh, there's lots of vowels in there as well in there. So, um, what do you make of Wales? I mean, if you think about a semi-final that's coming up could you think you know if you're england or new zealand you'd want a wales south africa semi-final wouldn't you because they are literally just going to beat each other to pieces because that's the way both teams play well um there'd be an argument that says that if you're england or new zealand you want a new zealand south africa semi-final yeah (laughs) but uh they're incredibly physically up, physical up front. Um, I think South Africa have got a few more options in terms of how they want to play the game back row and back play wise, whether they just play 
physical rugby or whether they play something that's got a bit more um, finesse around it. I think Wales play the way Wales play. And it's been incredibly successful in the last 12 months or so. I think Wales really missed Jonathan Davis. I mean, Vakatawa wasn't always running through that channel, but that was, you know, the centres weren't as defensively sound as, as they normally are. Absolutely. I didn't think Parks had his best game. Um, well, I think Park, Parks has played his best rugby with Davis. Yeah, and, of then, and then you make that last minute change. It's bound to unset. It's bound to unsettle the team. Um, but but Wales weren't as organised as normal, and, and they, they got overpowered at times. Um, and and their their rucks really didn't go well. They they weren't protecting the ball very well, and they it was a bit of a mess. Um, you know the the two back, you know the two flankers in the back row, you know individually played really well, um, but just the organisation didn't seem to be there quite as much as usual. I think. Oh. Navidi's been a great player, and it, it, it's it's um it's it's very unfortunate to him that he's out of the tournament. But I do wonder against South Africa if um, Moriarty would have been Moriarty a better bet anyway. Might be the 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 kind of eight they need. Um, yeah. But then you know you don't have the option of moving Navidi into the you know six or seven if you wanted to. But th- these two have played really well, so whether you would do that or not, so it perhaps saves um, Gatland the decision. You see that um, they've they've not. He said, they've, replaced said, they've, they've, they've replaced him with a. Is he an uncapped winger? I don't know. I I, I don't even really recognise his name. He plays for Cardiff. Um, Lane. And, isn't it? Yeah, Lane. Um, I'll, I'll have a look quickly. But while I do, having said that, Wales have, have been very successful in the last twelve months. They've probably had half a dozen shit halves of rugby when they've been really outplayed. Um, the first half of this game, probably a couple of halves against England, first half again against France in, in Six Nations. They've, yeah. Um, he made his test debut in, in the warm-up defeat to Ireland. Yes. Um, so either it clicks in the semi-final and they have a full game and, and I think we have a close game, I don't think if they have a half like they did against France or the other five times this year against South Africa, they're going to come back from it. I, I think with Wales is they they can get away with the odd bad half because their defence is so um, watertight usually. And in this game, it they wobbled more because their defence wasn't up to its normal standard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they've got bigger who keeps the scoreline ticking over. Uh, I, I think you could put, put some decent money on um, some drop goals in this semi-final. Yeah. Um, I, w- I worry about Wales's ability to score, to score tries against the, the better teams. Because if you think, you know, in a, in a lot of games, Wales almost well, not rely, but they utilize that cross kick into the corner for, for Adams and North a hell of a lot. And um, I think some of the better sides will will just deal with that a lot better because they'll be able to to repel repel the attacks at source. How how big's this winger that's just come into the squad? I've just gone off that page. Let's um, just have a look because he looks a he looks a fair unit. He does. He looks like a flanker. I just wonder if that's maybe one reason because you know Colby is not a big guy, and if if you've got Six foot one hundred kilos. So so he's so he's he's stocky. Yeah. I mean he's tall enough, but he's stocky. But you know, North is gonna tower over Colby. 
and Colby might have his way his way a little bit in attack, but if the cross kick comes in, yeah, it's the Watson sort of Corabetti conundrum, isn't it? It's mm. the you know it's the big winger versus the the fleet of foot. You know, it's it's what's going to be best. I mean, Josh Adams is 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 a very good winger and a very good finisher. Controversially, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to put this out there. Everyone's literally has been kissing Josh Adams' ass for a long, long time. He is not as good as Johnny May, and they do a very, very similar job. I don't think it's that controversial. As far as as far as a winger goes, right? Josh Adams. He's a great finisher who's in, he's like, you know, like Chris Ashton, who's who's in kind of in the right place at the right time to be the one to dot the ball down. So I kind of get what you mean. And I don't, I don't mean this in its entirety, but I think Josh Adams is like Johnny May of four or five years ago in terms of he's got some real assets, but equally he's got a few things that, Need tidying up. Defensively, Johnny, I think. Johnny Mays Yeah, defensively, it, his positioning on the wing in attack sometimes isn't the best. You see a reasonable number of forward passes to him because he's overrun it slightly or um, he ends up making catches, either making catches that aren't that clean because he's not quite in the right place or fumbling the odd ball. Um and in the same way that Johnny Mays worked on his his um, under the high ball and also uh, a more direct running, I think they're all things that Adams can work on. I think he has potential to be great. I'm not sure he's quite there yet. He's, he's decent. You wouldn't you wouldn't drop him for anyone if you were if you're a Wales coach. But I don't think he's yeah he's a bit of a show pony in terms of. He does the things that gets noticed pretty well. Yeah, that's 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 fair enough. And you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. And by no means am I calling him a bad player. Before all, we get lots of emails and tweets. I just yeah, I, I think, just think I don't think he's I don't think he's as good as everybody says he is. Well, I think what Phil says. I've just looked it up. If if he's Johnny May four years ago, that's probably a fairly um, fairly decent compliment because he's five years younger than Johnny May. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, there we go. Um, anyone that wants to at us will be beaten by facts. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think like I, I, when he played for Worcester, he played really well. He's, he's done really well for Wales. Um, so, you know, no knocks on the guy. Um, but um, North, when he was in form, which is a little while ago, would be a, considered a better player. North didn't really get involved in the game on Sunday morning at all. No. Um, so there's another concern. You've got Liam Williams, who, you know, has been brilliant for two years now. Um, but I don't, I don't think their their game plan, Wales's game plan, doesn't utilise their back three in the in their sort of in their biggest assets. And well, I think if you no, look at George, but if you look at George North. He should be taking crash balls off the inside of ten, the old Hornets nuts ball, or um, you know, you, you'd like, or you'd like to see George George yeah. North come in, joining in the midfield a little I mean, bit, and he they, tends they, not to. They used to use him a lot more like that, so you know, perhaps since, change the game plan a little Northampton. bit. Yeah, I mean, let, let's let's be fair. You know, they 
they beat both Australia and South Africa in in the last 12 months. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, so they're perfectly capable of it. Um, I, I actually went, you know, I was at the ground when they beat South Africa and it was really impressive. Um, but it was a typical Wales South Africa game. It was it was brutal and right, and, right up your alley. It was probably like a twelve six or something. It was it was something along them lines, yeah. And it's 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 going to be close and it's going to be physical. There's no doubt about it. it. This week, I'm 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 pretty much looking forward to it. Yeah, I I am I am, and I just hope that they kick the shit out of each other as much as is humanly <laughs> possible, um, so that uh, it might get to Sunday morning and we don't care. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's that's true. I, I, I would still care because, you know, if England go out, the thought of Wales getting to the final and having a chance of winning the World Cup and England aren't in the final would make me physically sick. They'd never mention it, would they? No, no, they, they wouldn't would never bring it up. Um, considering they were, you know, they were cheated out a few years ago. How many caps has George North got? Quite a few, I'd imagine. I'm sure we can... Uh... Oh, he must be. No, have a guess. Don't look it up. Have a guess. Oh, oh right. okay. okay. Uh, I reckon he's got 80. S- yeah, 70, 75? 90. Mm. 93, if you include lines. How many tries has he got? Uh, you got those stats in front of you. You're going you're gonna to make me do some backwards maths. 39. Okay. Plus, so two, like... plus two for the lines. Point, point 0.4 tries a game, almost. Yeah. Not not quite up to fifty percent. Still a decent return, but you could okay. bet you bet to pound to a pinch of shit that a lot of those tries were were quite early on in his in his international yeah, yeah. career, weren't they? I I do think that is a theme with wingers, though. Um, they do seem to score a lot of tries early on, um, and then the defenses start to work them out a little bit. Yeah, well, I suppose I suppose with other things is Julian Sarver is some. You know, probably not for George North because Gatlin's been there a long time. But for wingers in general, coaches change, game plans change. You know what they're being asked to do possibly changes with regards mm-hmm. to getting involved in in other areas of the field or sort of lurking wide or you know whatever it is that their sort of strength where their strengths lie. So it's an interesting one. Either I way, I suspect there's a bit like with um, with George North, a bit like Tuolangi. I think Tuolangi's been excellent. I think I think Manu to well, like, but he hasn't Manu... done the he, he hasn't got the highlights real. No, but he also hasn't got the miles in the legs, has he? He's however no, no. old Manu to Lange in terms is. Of, in terms of um he he isn't doing he, what he's doing is he's running hard and carrying hard and doing all the really fantastic stuff. He hasn't got the highlights real because teams are scared of him, so they're they're doubling up against him at times and I'm really aware of him, and I suspect if you've got George North out in the wing, and you've got Cheslin Colby up against him, your outside centre is probably hanging five yards further out to to cover. Whereas if you've got, I don't know, name a shit winger. If you've got Austin Healy out in the wing and Cheslin Colby, you trust him to make that tackle. Yeah, yeah, you do, you do. Um, either way, it's going to be an absolutely well, massive humdinger of a weekend, and I think we're in for. I think we're in for two exceptional yet very different games of rugby. I, one thing I was going to say is, in the last World Cup, New Zealand beat France even more soundly than they beat Ireland in the quarterfinals. 
Um, you know, they, I think, in, was it 60 points? It was an absolute assin. Um, but when it came to the semi-final, which admittedly was played in a, in a downpour, the game was tight. Uh, it was against a physical team in South Africa. And, you know, it was, uh, I think there was less than 20 points in the match. So, you know, it's as good as they were. Um, I think the demands of cup rugby will tighten the game up. Um, so I think they'll both be very tight games. Yeah, I thought, but I think tight, but I think England, New Zealand would, will be, will be tight, but relatively high scoring. I think, I think there'll be, you know, a minimum 15 to 20 points apiece. Whereas Wales, South Africa, I could see being an absolute defence fest with you know with a with a fifteen eight or or something of that nature. Yeah, I think it was probably fair. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it'd be right over your street. Um, so there we go. World Cup. We're at the semi final stage. It's been good though, in general, isn't it? Have you enjoyed it? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I, I love have. rugby. Uh, <laughs> I have. Um, the the. The fact that it's in Japan is brilliant, but it does make catching all the games difficult with having a job and stuff like that. But I'm not complaining about that because, um, you know, it's the same for people the other side of the world when the gate, when the matches are over here. But I, I you know, I, I haven't seen as much as I would have maybe liked to in other years. Um, yeah. But what I have seen has been brilliant. And the, the atmosphere over there has, has looked to be fantastic. You've Think got... of poor old Eddie, Ben. Think of poor old Eddie Stevens. He's like, ah. he's in, in a completely different universe. Oh, it's like the middle of the morning. He's what? He's, 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 like he's 11 o'clock or 3 o'clock he's, in the morning. He's almost watching it in a different month. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's there amongst what can only be called heathens, you know, so he can't go to the pub and watch it. He's got to just sit in that shed. Yeah, or his mobile shed. Hi, Eddie, if you're listening. I hope, <laughs> I hope you do listen. Um, you say you do, but this will be a test. Um, say a code word. He's got, yeah. he's got to say it on his uh, on his pod, or we know on, he doesn't on, listen. On his Lunch. on his mobile on his on his mobile ranter shed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'll think of something and and maybe slip it in at the end. Um, but no. Um, and on the question is, has it been a good World Cup? I think it's been fantastic. I think it's been great for the international game. As much as when Eddie was on, we said some of the. Pacific nations hadn't really stepped up. Um, Fiji then went and did it in their last game. Um, I think some of the tier two nations have shown that they've really improved. Uh, from everything that I've seen, Japan have been amazing hosts. So, yeah, and we've ended up with a good balance of two Northern Hemisphere, two Southern. And you could... The best four teams in the could, world at the semis. Absolutely. And I yeah. think that's probably the the best thing to say about it is for all that's gone on, the best four teams are the four teams that are left. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, before we move away from the World Cup and we start talking a little bit of premiership, can we talk about this uh, Jacko Piper photograph from today or from yesterday, whenever it was? Um, yeah. The one where he stood with a load of Welsh fans with his elbow out. Why is everyone getting so fucking babyish about it there's absolutely nothing in it whatsoever yet there's people calling for world rugby investigations and, and all that so i just don't understand it no but, it's, 
I'm yet to see anybody turn out and say they think there's any kind of bias there. Everybody said, oh, I think he's just having a bit of fun, but it's really bad form. Well, get get over it. Like The fact that he's out sharing a couple of beers with true rugby fans, we should see that as a positive thing. We don't want to end up like it is with football, where yeah. it's become that sterilised that they only yeah. ever go to to the celebrity bars in case there's normal people there. Like, it's like it's like the whole Eddie on the train incident. We should celebrate the fact that he's there, irrelevant of what other people did. Um, yeah. Just yeah, just get over it. Uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a nonsense because it was we've we've discussed it. It was the most obvious red card of the World Cup. It was one of the most obvious red cards of all time, I think. Um, so there's no controversy there. Um, the the try at the end, well. It's it's been ripped out. It it certainly wasn't forward enough to disallow the try. Uh, Mar- certain... It's a margin. It's a marginal call. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get them. Sometimes you won't. And he he'd be so criticised if he didn't give the try, and then it turned out that it should have been a try. So you know Unlike that's a marginal that. call. Unlike that nonsense Ben Skeen was coming out with in the England Australia oh game. Oh goodness me! Ball gets yeah. passed forward five yards, and he goes, "Oh, it looks lateral to me." To fair play to Garces. Garces went, I've yeah. literally just seen it go on the TV. It's gone it's a mile. It's forward pass. What are you um, talking about? So, yeah, I think, I think, to be fair, I think every tweet I've seen about it has been, you know, from anyone um, that I've seen has been, I'll give the guy a break. He's not our favourite referee. He made some mistakes in that game. Um, I think it's nice for him to get out because Mrs. Piper has him under a tight leash normally. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, fair play to him. He he probably thinks he ain't going to get the final anyway. So, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, all we can say is stop it, Mrs. Piper. <laughs> hands off, Mrs. People Piper. Hands... Is Mrs. Piper? Hello, I'm in a bit of trouble. I've uh, I've raised my elbow <laughs> with some uh, Welsh fans. I was I was I've been out drinking again, and. Uh, uh, my elbow was in the lens area of the camera and made contact with the Welsh fan. <laughs> and then you got the Welsh fans going, hey, Jacko, what's up, bud? Are they Geordies? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do the Geordie accent. Yeah, just something, just something in Geordie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, something in Geordie. Um, yeah, anyway, poor old Jacko. Poor yeah. old Jacko. Never mind. Um, right, let's delve into the Premiership very quickly, Ben. We've missed the we've missed the quarterfinal. Oh yeah, Japan versus South Africa. Well, I thought we we mentioned South Africa briefly. Um, let's just say what a thoroughly and utterly dominant second half performance that was. It was yeah. incredible. I mean. They sat out their stall, didn't they, with that selection, which was um, eight massive units with six more massive units on the bench. Um, And, you know, Japan came out first five minutes. They looked like they were trying to just empty their box of tricks uh, and they got themselves in a little bit of trouble. Um, But but once their offloading got going, it it was brilliant for a while and it, it. in a couple of games, it's almost sort of disoriented the opposition so that they've made really bad choices and tried to join in with it a little bit. And 
South Africa got a little bit pulled into that, but they were just blitzing the, the Japanese as much as they could, hitting them behind the gain line. And they were also, even when they did offload, they were just burying them with tackles. And they were, it didn't matter if they were a little bit late or, you know, a little bit off the ball. They just kept hitting them and hitting them. And when they got the ball, they were just mauling or just putting Dialende up the middle. And I think it just knocked the legs out of the Japanese team. I think if they'd have scored when they had that bit of pressure, um, then the game might have been a bit different. But even by about 33, 34 minutes, I, I tweeted that I think the Japanese need half time because they were just, I don't think they could quite cope with the physicality of it. It, it was pretty brutal. And then the second half, they just pinned, South Africa just pinned them back, didn't they, into it their was, 22. It was just like, uh, we've talked about the whole sort of boa constrictor. They just didn't allow them any time or space to run. Every time they kicked, I mean, their kicking was impeccable because every time, every time Japan caught it, there was a, a South African there on them straight away the amount of turnovers they got yeah through the kick chase and japan just not being able to get the ball away it was it was relentless from south africa and although they didn't score you know they made quite a few mistakes to give the ball back to japan Mm. they just didn't let them go anywhere with it and japan were trying to run obviously you know that where they've been successful is yeah is with their attacking game and running from from all over the pitch they the, the South African first up defence was absolutely brutal and they didn't let them go anywhere. So um, when when Japan played Scotland and absolutely thrashed them, to me it was clearly obvious that against that Japan team, your tactic had to be um, controlling, had to be control pressure, control territory, control possession, um, but mainly control possession because they have the talent and the pace and the fitness to to probably beat anyone if they get 75 80% possession which is what they did when they beat Ireland and what they when they beat Scotland was they they kept the ball for immensely long periods south africa didn't let them have that level of possession and that was always going to challenge them but as as much as it's important to say what a dominant second half that was by south africa i think it's really important to say that japan need big games more often they they yeah. need to be playing these kind of games more often because they have the the talent the ability and heading towards the infrastructure to be able to become a, a regular big player so, in the world stage so there's an argument to say why not make the rugby championship a five-team affair they're discussing it next week i think and, um, and, and you've got a, a similar a similar sort of competition to the six nations so rather than playing each team home and away as they do now, or they've they've changed that with the with Argentina coming in, you know, do they have to have both those Bledisloe games, or you know, they could just do that as a you know an extra game as a as a one off as well as the rugby championship game. That's fine, but you know, a five team rugby championship, they're in the same hemisphere, they're they're basically in the same time zone as Australia and New Zealand anyway. So you know. I think it makes more sense for them to be in the rugby championship than fucking Argentina. Or... Well, and it would make more sense for Argentina to be in the Six Nations because it's considerably closer for them. Well, I'm not suggesting say, you they say do that. that but... I, I would say it would make more sense for South Africa to be in the Six Nations because, there's again, there's no time zone difference there either. 
and just have Australia, New Zealand, and Japan playing amongst themselves. It, it, it's all going to come down to money at the end of the day, and yeah. that is that is the advantage that the Japanese market has got is that there's a lot of money floating around. I mean, they said that one of the props had donated three million pounds to his old school. Well, uh, there's there's probably not many props in England that can donate three three million pounds. Uh, I I would say there's probably zero. Yeah, so you know that that's a good sign. Um, you know, for for all my enthusiasm for that South African performance, um, I was desperate for Japan to win because they've been brilliant in this tournament. Um, you know, you have got players like Himeno, the the number eight. I, you know, South yeah. Africa did a number on him, but throughout the tournament, he's been fantastic. Um, Shotahori, the hook has been ace. Yeah, amazing um, hands on him. I think I think just against the real big sides, the the they, they they didn't really have the um ball carrying power in the backs the, the the 12 is is a nice player and he's he's a sort of almost like a sam hill type you know just quite quite low to the ground and and a good ball carrier but i think that's maybe why they put um leach and uh Lab- Labashane on the on, on the wings a lot because it gives them a bit more bulk to stop them getting yeah. forced into touch um so so you know the more players that they get coming through the, the more that will change um but the 13 i think is a really good player i can't remember is. his name yeah um, um, but he but he needs a a, a mike tindall like player inside him i think yeah i mean his offloads are fantastic aren't they but it, yeah and and there was a sort of 15 minute burst where they played really well against south africa and i think if they had scored a try then maybe south africa's game plan might have been derailed a little bit because they'd have been behind um but you know, I think the physicality really told in the end, but you know, that the, Japan have probably been the sort of ray of light for the tournament, really. Um, yeah. that them and, so, and Uruguay's win, so you, you, you've got to say, you know, well done to them, and and, and so hopefully a, they a, get a reward. There's a Sanzar meeting in Tokyo on Friday where apparently they're talking about reinstating the Sunwolves to Super Rugby and how can they incorporate Japan into rugby championships for next year. Um, but apparently, this is a rumour spread by Brett Gosper, who's the head of World Rugby, there could be a tug-of-war between whether Japan end up in the Six Nations or the Rugby Championships. It's not going to happen. Japan will um, not end up in the Six Nations. It's the most ridiculous uh, thing in the world. If there is a t- if there is a, t- a tug-of-war, that, that's a good thing. Um, exactly. I noticed England are touring there next summer, which is, um, you know, a, a good start as well. Um, I don't know if that will be during the Olympics or one side of it, but um, I would imagine it would be July, wouldn't it? Pre Olympics, yeah, earlier, yeah. But you know, when they came to Twickenham, you know, they gave England a real tough time for an hour, and England got slated for that yeah. performance. Uh, yeah, they beat. They they didn't. It, I know Ireland aren't quite in the place that they have been, but it wasn't that they just snuck past Ireland. They outplayed them for an hour. Um, so you could comfortably probably put them ahead of, you know, some big names in that tournament. You'd say they're probably better than Scotland. Um, they're, yeah, they're a solid top eight team the way yeah. they're playing at the moment. It, you know, it depends what players they've got coming through, but apparently the seven side is pretty decent. So, you know, something's got to be done and it sounds like it will be. But as, as we say, they've got a bit of cash to chuck around so people will want them. Right. Cool. Let's um, 
let's move on to a bit of Premiership action, shall we, briefly? I know, uh, Phil, you didn't get to see very much, if any at all. Um, nope. I watched the Bath-Bristol game on Friday night that was an excellent sort of opener to the Premiership. Ben, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure you weren't um, of the same opinion. No, it was awful. It, no, was, awful um, for, it was awful for yeah. Bath. Bristol played really well. There was a sort of 20-minute period where they got a bit sloppy and gave away a few penalties and Bath came in, into it a little bit. But Bristol just out outperformed them in probably every area. Um, you know, Bath have been hit hard by absentees, but they're not the only ones. And no one else that I'm aware of was quite as inept as Bath were. Um, how, how the hell did Zach Mercer stay on the pitch after that first minute? He looked like he was literally limping around the whole game. Yeah, well, and... they had to, Russ, because there's there's no one creative in that 15 other than Mercer. He's the only one that would you, you'd back to do anything other than run in a straight line. So if they'd have conceded a try in the first minute and taken their best player off, then... Yeah. Oh, yeah, game over. Game over, isn't it? So he had to stay on. Um and he is, he's a really good player. But, and, and I'm not saying that those other players in the Bath team are bad players, but they're all very meat and potatoes players, aren't they? You know, Max Clark is a good player, but he's an up and down centre, although he had a pig in, that, in this game. Um, and Bristol have got a lot more stardust in their team. Um, you know, Hughes was, was really good. Um, Atwood had a good return, you know, not a return to Bath because it was at Bristol, but he played well. Um, but, you know, their backs like to run. I thought Dan Thomas in the flank was really good. But they're, they're, a, they're a side that's built for a nice pitch in the first half of the season, aren't they? Um, you know, Thacker, those kind of players. And, you know, Lloyd, uh, our friend in Bucharest, you know, he was, he was, he's a Bristol fan and he was very pleased. And I said, well... We'll see what happens when you meet the Saracens meat grinder in January. Oh, yeah, indeed. Indeed. I mean, Bristol, like you say, they got to go. But Hughes was excellent. Um, as was, I thought, Piers O'Connor. Uh, that, that, the back row of, of Luatua, um, Thomas and Hughes, Hughes actually looks like it can do some real damage this season. Oh, yeah. I like that, Dan, Dan Thomas. Yeah, he's a good player. Um, hope you know. I'd imagine you know if if they're paying him, and they've got the other two on the on the on the books that he's they're probably paying him in, I don't know, pebbles or something. Um, yeah, but uh, it, you never know. He might uh, he might have a wife that works in the kitchen. Yeah. Or... Um, but he's worth every penny, whatever, whatever, because you know he's he's a sort of very good premiership seven yeah um you know they needed to beef up their pack a little bit well that's what they've done with atwood john afoa played pretty well yeah um so you know i think like you say bristol Brist- 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 have got to be t- talking about top six haven't they yeah and they and they've got to they've got to make hay in this period while all of the world cup stars are away yeah because they they haven't got many to come back in i think you know there may be a couple like they've obviously the Samoan boys, Piertel, yeah. um, and a couple of others. They, whereas a, a lot of the teams are, are, are struggling for, as they struggling, are are going to be expecting back some real sort of big names. So you can expect you can expect Bristol to pick up some um, 
some good results early in the season and, and put themselves in a decent position moving forward. Um, some other results, I didn't see any of the other games, but some of the other results, Exeter put in a, a bit of a shift by the looks of things against Quinns. Uh, they came out on top 22-19. Uh, another close, it looks they were pretty close games all round, really. Uh, Gloucester beat Sale 18-16. It's a very um, good result, that. It's a really good result. And I yeah. think Gloucester and Sale, again, Sale are going to have people to come back. They're going to be competitive. For for Gloucester, I think, I, I genuinely think Gloucester can do some damage and, and potentially win it this year. Um, I think the, I think Gloucester will be closer to uh, Exeter and Saracens than they were this year. And more to the point, I think that everybody will be a lot closer because I don't think Exeter, um, they played a really young side on Saturday, uh, the likes of Hendrickson and um, the uh, the young back row lad, I can't remember what his name is, uh, bollocks, his name escapes me. Um, but they they will not, pull away like they did last year. Saracens are going to be missing a lot of their big players for a lot of the season. If you think, you know, by the time they get back and have had a rest, there'll be a, maybe two or three rounds. Then it's Europe as well. And then it'll be six. Now, before you know it, it's Six Nations time again. And I know the the the, um, the season's going on till June, but, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of players missing for a lot of time. So that's where I think that Gloucester will will benefit the most. Yeah, I mean, at, at the weekend they were missing Paledri and um, what's his name, South African second row, uh, Mostert. Um, Mostert. But apart from that, they're they're not that far off what would be a, a first choice starting team. So they're going to be able to to push on and make hay whilst the sun shines. Obviously, I'm guessing Paledri um, and. Stuart Hogg for for Exeter and the players that were now in the group stages will be back next week, I would guess. Um, Hogg was definitely he was definitely there at Exeter, all um, branded up. Uh, so yeah, um, I think they could really make a decent start now, Gloucester. Yeah, a, a lot like Bristol. I mean, yeah. but people are expecting it a lot more about um, from from but, Gloucester. But you're right with the with the World Cup at the start. And then Six Nations coming in afterwards, it could really shake this up a little bit. And those yeah. teams that that don't make hay now could really struggle come the end of the season. So with that in mind, then uh, day one of the Premiership season at home, Saracens lose twenty five twenty seven to to the Doug's beloved Northampton Saints. Um, I would imagine he was he was jumping for joy, as would have been Eddie. Um, and if you're listening, Eddie. Let's uh, let's say hashtag Saracen suck, and uh, yeah, but that's fantastic a, result for that's a for pretty that's a pretty unrecognisable Saracen side outside of back row and nine ten. Um, yeah, I mean Sigan has 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 played a bit, but he's a lot been a lot in the um, in the sevens and in the sort of the Saracen storm side. Um, Alex Goode at 10, but like you say, Gallagher, um, Nick Tompkins, Adam Hale, yeah. Yeah. 
they're not household names, are they? And you think of all the players that Saracens have got at the World Cup to come back in. You know, it could be another season for Saracens finishing fourth, scraping the playoffs, and then winning the winning the final. Yeah, uh, I think if 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 it's going to be as equal as we think, then that almost plays into Saracen and Exeter's hands. If there was say two other sides that were going to beat everyone else then then perhaps it, it it would be more of a danger to them but i think if everyone's going to beat each other it's still going to be saras as an extra that win the most games it does that make sense yeah it does yeah yeah because um, they know because they, they they're so used to getting over yeah. the line yeah yeah if, if gloucester were going to beat everyone else in the league then they could be ahead of them at some stage but if if it's level pegging with all these games because on paper all these squads look so similar i mean irish you'd say maybe looked weaker but they won at wasps so you know they've got off to a good start bristol's got off to a good start you know perhaps you you likes of wasps and bath might be the ones that are perhaps looking over their shoulder a little bit and i think irish will be down towards the bottom but yeah i i still think Odds are on an Exeter Saracens final. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, some uh, the results: Worcester uh, won at home to Leicester. Uh, I mean, it's not um, it's not even a surprise that anymore either, is no. it? Worcester seem to beat Leicester regularly, and and Worcester always, you know, they tend to get decent results at home. So. No, I, I just think and it's going to be a, a, a very, very tight season all the way around. I kind of fear for Leicester a bit because they they struggled last season and they will have lost a lot of players for the World Cup as well. You know who I really, who I really uh, fear for this season is Wasps. I think Wasps have lost a lot of players. I think, yes, they've got some, some players. Yes, they've got Fekatoa and Sopawaga. Um, but after watching a little bit of the game against London Irish yesterday, and you know, again, you could you could say a lot for how well London Irish played and being back in the Premiership and a bit of a you know new season bounce and stuff. Wasps, they just don't look like a team. <laughs> Not that can compete. That's that's the wrong thing to say. But that can challenge. I just, you know, the 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 days of Wasps being up there and challenging are, are long gone, unfortunately. Well, who? And again, who who have Wasps lost? Launchbury. Uh, Launchbury to the World Cup. Well, Daly's gone, hasn't he? But but in terms of to the World Cup, because uh, Daly's not coming back to him. No. So it would be Launchbury. Launchbury. Not a lot. I can't even. I can't even think. And when you put that in perspective, and you see then who they've got in their squad. I mean, uh, Le Bourgeois. You know, as much as I love saying his name, he, he is fairly solid, but not in any way spectacular. Um, the only real, real shining light in that Wasp side that I could see is Jack Willis, and you know he is exceptional. He's really, really good, um, and if they can, if they can keep hold of him, and, and rebuild again, sort of around him, then then they could be they could be okay. But 
you know, the Kit Kibarigi scored a, a couple of tries um, from uh, from open play, but uh, again, they just don't seem they don't seem to have enough about them. And Sopawanga and and Fekatoa are going to have a, a really tough job on their hands. Yeah. Yeah, Le- Leicester are really going to have to hang on until the World Cup guys get back, aren't they? Um, yeah. Look, looking at their team, uh, there's not many household names in there, um, you know. But they have got four backs in the England squad, so that's going to liven that up a little bit. They've got um, Lavanini to come and play a few <laughs> yeah. halves before he gets sent off. <laughs> um, so you know they've got that. I mean, if you look at Worcester's uh, back line, it, it it's. It's a decent back line for a Premiership team. You've got Mills and Beck in the centre. That's two good players. Yeah. Um, Humphreys has scored a lot of tries. Pennell's Pennell. solid. Yeah. Uh, you've got Huhard at nine. Weir's an international 10. So they've done well there. I mean, <laughs> he is an international 10. He is. <laughs> yeah. He, he has mean, been. Not, not current, but. No, uh, and no then, and not necessarily for the best team. But... No. But, you know, and then you've got player to watch is Ted Hill. You know, he scored against Leicester again. Um, so, you know, they're, they're going to be hopeful this year as well. So, yeah, there could be a few teams looking a bit worried. It's going to be interesting to see how it pans out over these early weeks of the season, that's for certain, because there's a lot of, say, second string teams that are that are going to be fighting it out. And, you know, it, again, it'll be, it's going to be an intriguing season. And I, I genuinely think it'll be the closest in both promotion and relegation promotion as in uh, playoffs and relegation that we've ever seen in the premiership. So uh, there you go. Um, we're nearly an hour and a half in <laughs> first podcast, back, first podcast back. Yeah, for, people uh, for have probably missed us. So, you know, they probably have. It's fine. Yeah. You know, I don't care. Um, any other business? Have you got anything, Ben, this week that you want? I have. To, uh... Yeah. Yeah. Um, humble brag. I was on holiday last podcast um uh-huh. yeah and um we went to this uh like castle that was on a like a mountain and it had one of those switchback roads going all the way up is that uh, like a castle on the hill yeah yeah is that at the top like palenza top of mallorca uh, yeah it... no it was um it was Not towards the Port, Port, Port Mantor or something like that. No, it was um, I've I've forgotten the name of it, but it, it it was it was very impressive. But there was um, what can only be described as several herds of cyclists, um, and the main bunch of them were all they had all the gear on, um, but they were riding electric bikes. Okay, <laughs> so. So this this mountain was obviously it's obviously I think it must be some kind of um, stage on one of the tours because it had um, when you got to the top it had like framed jerseys and stuff. Where did you um, stay, Ben? Porta Column. Okay. Was it San 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 Sebastian or something like that? Um, but yeah, so so we we were trying to sort of drive up, but, but there were so many of it was obviously a club that was on tour. There were so many of them you can get past them, and because yeah. they were electric. They were just too fast to get past safely, but slow enough to be annoying. But the people I really felt sorry for were the real cyclists who were like laboring up this mountain. And um, these guys would just breeze past them with all the gear on, um, but just not really taking any effort. And I I did think if it was me, I'd just get off my bike and start like knocking them over the edge. Um, (laughs) 
it gets a bit hairy that those sort of windy back roads what like i call like a bond chase road it, it was exactly that yeah it, it like it was one of the ones where on top gear they'd have all sort of stopped and had a little sort of Ooh. group chat about it you know um <laughs> group chat yeah nice one. Uh, saint salvador it was called saint salvador i don't even and, know where that is i'm not gonna yeah to um yeah it was right on the sort of uh southeast kind of corner um but yeah to, to be recommended unless there's a lot of cyclists about yeah cool phil anything for yeah. you? a couple of things really quickly um on saturday i was at uh, a dinner dance um, sorted out by a friend of all of us here, Dan Johns, um, in aid of Tommy's, the um, uh, the baby loss charity, um, a subject that's very dear to to my heart, having lost a child in between our two. Um, it was a fantastic evening, and a big shout out to to Dan and for Jazz for for organising it. Raised, I think, something like four and a half thousand pounds, which is fantastic. Um, I did my bit for for raising money for charity without actually spending any by pushing up the prices in the auction. Um, much uh, to good lad. Lee Woodatch's disgust, having paid hundred quid for a CJ Stander shirt that his missus had got in the first place. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, well well done to the Johns. It was a yeah, it was a great night. Um, second thing, um, I've been listening to a few other podcasts, and there seems what? to be what? a trend. Of- not not rugby based ones, don't worry. Um, there seems to be a trend emerging of podcasts turning around and going. We know you like to listen to our podcast. Why don't you pay us for the privilege and donate some money so that we can keep making podcasts? So, with that in mind, please take a look at our Patreon. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I just think it's a bit cheap. Like, there's there's massive companies out there, and if there are, if you are a big company with a multi million pound turnover and you want to sponsor a rugby-based podcast, we'll have you. doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be multi-million pounds. I was going to we'll, say, even if you're tin pot, we'll take you. We'll, we'll take some sponsorship from a company. That's not a problem. What we're not going to do is ask our, our listeners to give up with their hard-earned cash so that we can prattle about rugby for an hour or so. Yeah, um, that, I do. I and do and I've taken that. that decision unanimously. Yeah, I do I do find that a little bit <laughs> odd. I mean, you know, if if you're asking people to pay for what is essentially a hobby i don't it just it doesn't sit very well um i take it those those podcasts that you're referring to and i don't you know you can name and shame them if you want i doubt they're listening but um you know are they people that are, are just like us or are they like uh, professional it, people and do it, it as their job because i think if it's their job and that's what they're doing is full time and they're producing full time content for, you know, for their work and they're trying to make it. Then I kind of get it. But so they're, for, invariably, for us... they're invariably comedians, but they're also comedians who have kind of every 10 minutes, they'll have a break in the middle of their podcast so that some company can do an advert. And it's invariably a mattress company or a razor company that seem to want to sponsor everybody or a, or a beer delivery company. Um, it's just the same group of sponsors around every podcast. But I think it's probably a source of their income. But equally, yeah. to me, that's not that's not the business model. Um, no, no, I get it. Like, I think getting people to pay for media um, shouldn't really be the right business model. Getting companies to pay for media should. 
yeah the it's this is sponsorship rather than dedicated listener you know yeah you're not going to the cinema to listen to us there's so much there's so much content out there for literally every bit of perusal you if you want a podcast on i don't know opening an envelope you could probably (laughs) find one you know there are there are literally podcasts and blogs and vlogs and shit for every single subject you can imagine japanese Um, micro gardening techniques probably it just the the long bonsai the long bonsai yeah i mean just look at me i'm involved in at least three podcasts it's an embarrassment quite frankly (laughs) at least three i um (laughs) i uh i listened to uh one of the later episodes of um my dad wrote a porno at the airport on my headphones and um it was fed back to me that i looked like a lunatic and, and what did and what did laughing. your girlfriend think if yeah. you sat there just listening to a podcast when you could have been conversing with her? It was it was late, I'm trying to keep <laughs> awake. So uh, with that with that in mind, spare. <laughs> with that in mind, I'm going to give a, a podcast recommendation for uh, for my any other business. Um, for those of you that have you heard of the Geordie comedian Chris Ramsey, and yeah. he's on Strictly at the moment. He does a podcast with his wife called it's called shagged married annoyed and they just they discuss things about their life week on week and they have a section called what's your beef where him and his missus they go at each other for a couple of minutes each week with something that's irritating them about each other and it's really really funny because they're um, incredibly honest um or or they've just suckered me in with their clever wit and and form um but yeah, go and check it out. If you like a podcast um, and you're looking for something that's lighthearted and want to have a little uh, have a little giggle to yourself, then then have a listen to that one. Can I um, can I recommend as well? Um, we have ways, which is um, Al Murray, the pub landlord, and historian James Holland. It's a it's a World War Two podcast, but it's it's very good for anyone that's that way inclined. Cool. I'll check it out. I've I've also started listening to. I got recommended a couple of um, sort of NFL based crime podcasts because we awesome. all know the 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 NFL is is renowned for its crime. But um, there's a podcast about the the uh, former Carolina Panthers wide receiver Ray Carruth, who was accused and convicted of plotting to kill his girlfriend and unborn child. Um, and also Aaron Hernandez, the New England Patriots. Um, tight end and i don't know anything about the story but i'm going to listen to the podcast um apparently it's quite a quite a big thing so well i'm not going to recommend a podcast because i generally get bored of them all after about 10 weeks apart from the one the one which i haven't deleted which is work related is the bbc farming today podcast which is dollars dishwater which is the all over podcast uh yeah. the only rugby podcast that gives you all the news views and opinion on a wicked rugby action did um did you know there's a Tinder for cows? Yeah. Tudder. I know the man who's, who invented it. A Tinder for cows. Fuck yeah. me. On that note, I'm going to stop this because it's just ridiculous. <laughs> you've got Ben, you've gone delirious. And, uh, and I've stopped listening. Would it be terribly rude for me to stop listening to you now? There's, there's an udder on my leg. <laughs> Unbelievable. Go well.
Social Podcast Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.